Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Habakkuk, Old Testament book, one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk, we will pick up in our series at Habakkuk chapter 2 beginning in verse 6. We'll walk our way through verse 20 this morning. How many of you have ever noticed that driving on the interstate brings out the worst in you? Anybody want to raise a hand to that? Amen. You know, it's interesting. We uh, drove up to Georgia and came back uh, this past week. And have you ever felt within yourself a desire for someone who has just passed you driving way too fast? Have you ever had this thought? I hope there's a cop up ahead. (laughs) You ever thought that? How many of you are that person driving too fast? (laughs) You know, it's interesting, as we've been walking our way through the book of Habakkuk, we have seen Habakkuk's conversation with the Lord on full display. We saw early on in chapter 1, Habakkuk come to the Lord with what he saw as a problem within the nation of Israel, within God's own chosen people, that they were not walking in obedience to the Lord. They were not interested in following the Lord the way that God had called them to follow Him. And Habakkuk sits back looking at that situation and says, God, are you ever going to do anything about this? Are you just going to sit back and allow what's happening among your people to continue? They're not interested in following you. They're not interested in walking with you. In fact, they're oppressing one another. They are worshiping idols. They are acting as if they are a godless people. And yet, God, they are your chosen people. Why are you not stepping in to do something about this? And remember God's response to Habakkuk beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1. He tells Habakkuk, listen, I am working and what I'm going to do If I told you, you would not even be able to fathom the amazing work that I'm going to do in the life of my people. And he said to Habakkuk, in fact, I'm going to use this outside pagan nation, the Chaldeans, also known oftentimes as the Babylonians, I'm going to allow them to come in and to take over my people and actually carry them off into captivity. And I'm going to discipline my people at the hands of the Chaldeans. That was God's response to Habakkuk's question and Habakkuk's complaint and Habakkuk's problem. And then Habakkuk steps back for a second after hearing that from the Lord and says, Wait, hang on, Lord. You mean you're going to use this pagan people? Don't you realize we're not quite as bad as they are? We're not as bad as them. It's the conversation that goes on in my mind as I'm driving down the interstate. I mean, I'm not as bad as those speeders, right? There's just a cop up ahead, and you can pull them over and give them what they're due. And that was Habakkuk's response to the Lord. God, don't you realize this people that you're saying is going to come in and, and take your chosen people into captivity, don't you realize what kind of people they are? 
Don't you see that they are a pagan people? They are idol worshipers. Don't you see that all they do is come in and oppress peoples, that they come in and do all of these evil things to the nations that they are taking over? God, how in the world could you just sit back and allow that? It's interesting how Habakkuk's complaint changes with more information that the Lord reveals. His complaint initially is, God, why won't you do anything to get your people's attention? And then God says, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he says, wait, hang on, God, why are you doing it that way? It's not his choice. It's not what he had wanted. And God's response in the first part of chapter 2 to Habakkuk was very simple, that write this down. This is exactly what's going to happen. And recognize that those who endure this will endure looking at me. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in the Lord's provision. Faith in the Lord's protection. Faith in the Lord's deliverance. That is what the Lord gives as His answer to Habakkuk. As we see this morning, working our way through verses 6 through verse 20, the Lord's conversation with Habakkuk continues. And I want to read for us this morning the text and Pray, and then we will walk through it together. The Lord's response to Habakkuk continues in verse 6. And He says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against Him with scoffing and riddles for Him and say, Woe to Him who heaps up what is not His own. For how long? And loads Himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts, That peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup is in the Lord's right hand. It will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A mental image a teacher of lies. For its maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. 
Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Father, we ask this morning that You would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that You would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to Your Word and to Your Spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that we see in the text and we will walk through it together and try to seek to understand a little bit better of what's going on in the book of Habakkuk and then ask the question of what is going on here that actually applies to us? How do we take this text and look introspectively at our own lives and ask some hard questions that maybe we need to ask of ourselves? If you're taking notes, here's the main idea. Our limited perspective may tempt us to question whether or not God will deal with injustice, but we are assured His justice will reign. You know, as we look out, and as Habakkuk was looking out, as he was hearing what God's answer was to his question, as he heard that God was going to use this pagan people, Habakkuk's question was, how can a just God do that? I mean, we're not as bad as they are, and yet you're using them to accomplish your plan and your purpose. God, how can you allow that to happen? How can you be a party to injustice reigning? And we're going to see God's response to that beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2. We pick up there from God's previous response where He has said that, This people is going to come in, that they are going to ravage the nation of Israel. They've been doing that for a long time leading up to this. They were on a campaign to take over all the nations that they could take over. And yet the Lord's response, beginning in verse 6, is saying that all of those nations that have been taking over, shall not all these take up their taunt? Against him, that's the Chaldeans, with scoffing and riddles for him and say. This is the Lord's response that other nations, those who have been taken advantage of, those who have been oppressed, those who have been carted off, whose goods had been plundered, that they would rise up and taunt the Chaldeans. The Lord is basically saying what they have done to others will be done to them. God's justice will reign. But he is using them for a small period of time to get the nation of Israel's attention, to call them back to himself. I want you to notice there are five woes that are pronounced by the nations on the Chaldeans. So if you're taking notes, here are the five woes. We're going to see the first one beginning in verse 6, walking our way through verse 8. Woe to him, who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges, will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. 
for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The first woe is woe to the thief. War, at this point in time, was a very lucrative endeavor. Nations would go to war against other nations in the hope that they would be able to defeat them. And once they defeated them, they would be able to take whatever they wanted, both goods and people. And so as an army came in to take over another nation, what they would do is they would defeat them, they would shed a lot of blood, and then they would look and say, what do you want? You've got goods, you've got gold, you've got silver, you have possessions, you have livestock, you have land. What do you want? And they would begin to divide those things among themselves. And then they would look and slave trade was very lucrative as well at this point in time. And so they would take people and they would use them as slaves, both for their own benefit, but also to sell to others. And the Lord is looking at this and the nation's the Lord is saying, are speaking to the Chaldeans and saying, woe to the thief. Woe to those who take what is not theirs. Because the Lord's promise in this is that a nation would rise up and would do the exact same thing to the Chaldeans. And it's not too many years later that that's exactly what happens. The Medes and the Persians come in and capture Babylon. They come in and they take over the Chaldean nation. They do the exact same thing that the Chaldeans had done. The Lord's justice will reign. This thief of a nation will not be able to keep what they steal. Because another nation will rise up and take it from them. You know, I I was thinking about this as we will walk through these five woes. And initially, my first thought was to put myself in the position of the oppressed. I think most of us probably do that when we come to something like this. We think about those who have taken advantage of us. Maybe we think about those, and if you have family that have done this, and you were just eating Thanksgiving turkey with them, didn't taste very good, but those who have taken advantage of you, maybe have stolen from you. And we can sit back and with Habakkuk go, okay, this is not going to go unpunished. Ultimately, God's justice will reign and God will do what he says that he's going to do. And then it hit me. But what if we're the thief? What if we find ourselves not in the position of Habakkuk, not in the position of the nation of Israel necessarily, but what if we find ourselves in the position of the Chaldeans? And it reminded me that God takes sin very seriously. You know, Habakkuk's first accusation against the Lord is that God is just kind of winking at sin. And then when the Lord says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, he says, gosh, you're winking a lot at sin because they are big sinners. And Yet I look and I think, what does that say to us? Even if we've trusted in Jesus as our Savior, where do we steal that which is not ours? 
You're like, man, it just got deep in here. Maybe it's from our employer. Still a little bit of time here. Still a little bit of time there. Still goods or services. Enrich yourself with something that you didn't earn or work for. Maybe it's at the expense of someone else. Maybe it's a family member that you've taken advantage of. Maybe it's a friend that you've taken advantage of, that you have enriched yourself because of actions that aren't very godly. Then I started thinking even a little more deeply than that. What if we're stealing from the Lord? like, how does that work? God has called us as His people to give to Him what He's called us to give. You look through the Old Testament and then you move into the New Testament and a tenth of all that we earn, the Lord says, that is mine. like, Michael, you're meddling. You can look at our budget. You can look at what's given, and it far exceeds our needs at this point. So this is not a conversation where I'm looking and saying, hey, we really need some money, so I'm going to say something about tithing today. It's not it at all. The reality is for us that if we are not doing what God has called us to do, There's only one explanation for that, and that's sin. And God calls us to give. God calls us to give generously to Him. And if we are not doing that, we, just like His people, are walking in disobedience to Him. And so as we look at the text this morning, we may very well think, I'm in the position of people stealing from me, but you very well may be in a position where You are stealing from others. And maybe ultimately you are stealing from the Lord. The response here is that it will not last for the Chaldeans. That enriching themselves at others' expense ultimately will not continue on. And the truth for us is if that's what we're doing, it will not go unnoticed. He continues in verse 9 with a woe to the proud. Notice what he says in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. You see, they were taking what they were getting and they were using it to enrich themselves to the point where they thought we can build the most robust protection around our city that anyone in the world has ever seen. And no one will be able to touch us. 
So that's exactly what they attempted to do. And yet the Lord looks and says to them, You who are proud will fall. You will not go untouched. It doesn't matter how high you build the wall. It doesn't matter how thick it is. God owns the wall. And when He so desires, that wall will come down. And looking at this, for those Chaldeans who were proud, the Lord promises that His justice will reign and they will ultimately fall. Which again, puts it back on us to ask the question, where are we proud? Where do we think that we will never fall? Where are the fortresses that we have constructed in our own life that we believe will protect us and we really don't need the Lord's help at all? And can I just remind us this morning that if this nation could build some of the greatest walls and structures to prevent anyone from overtaking them, and the Lord looks at that and laughs, the walls that we've built, the structures that we built, the pride that has seeped in our own hearts and minds to cause us to think that we've got this on our own. We don't need the Lord at all. Can I remind us that His Word tells us that a fall is quickly coming to those who are proud. The promise here to the Chaldeans is they would soon fall. They would soon be overtaken as a nation that what they thought protected them would no longer be able to protect them. He continues on in verse 12 and says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples merely labor for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The third woe is woe to the murderer. That's the picture that we see in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood. So as this nation was going in and taking other nations, they were doing it by shedding blood. And the blood was crying out from the ground. What they were doing was ungodly to say the least. And they would do it as sport, not just for military victory, but to prove a point. Because if you are more powerful than someone else and you start slitting throats in the street and hanging bodies by stakes, what eventually happens is people say, I'm not going to rise up against that. And that's exactly what they were doing. Now, for us, again, we ask the question, What about us? How do we respond to that? Which I think most of us would look and say, 
well, I'm not a murderer. And yet Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says anyone with hate in their heart towards someone else is guilty of murder. And you look at that and you ask the question, especially coming off Thanksgiving holidays, right? Dealing with family. Going into your job Monday, looking at the people around you. Let me just ask, as believers who are gathered here this morning, where in our lives are we harboring hate towards other people? You say, Michael, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily describe it as, as hate. That's kind of harsh. Is it? Or is that simply the reality? Again, the pronouncement on this nation is that though they were spilling bloods in the street, though they were taking over nation after nation, that the earth Verse 14, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Regardless of what is transpiring, regardless of what is happening, the promise is that even though this pagan people were not interested in following after the Lord, that even in the midst of all of this bloodshed, even in the midst of all of this violence, that God's glory would still be on display. I want you to notice the fourth woe beginning in verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The pronouncement there is woe to the oppressor. Once again, this picture is described as making neighbors drink. And that picture is drinking wrath upon themselves. So here what the Lord is saying is you have gone around Chaldeans and you have a cup of wrath. And you are making those who you are taking over drink that wrath and it's exposing them. They are being overtaken. They are being killed. They are being exploited. They are being oppressed by you. But Never lose sight of the reality that God's cup is always bigger. And God's cup of wrath, this nation will drink and it will ultimately expose them. It's a promise that God makes to His people here. It's a promise that He gives to Habakkuk. Habakkuk's going to witness this exact thing take place. And the comfort that he has is that God's justice will reign. Which makes us stand back and ask the question again. Where are we oppressing others? Where are we, even as God's people, oppressing those who are less fortunate than us, those who are 
in our sphere of influence where our mindset towards them is not how can I help them flourish, but how can I use them to get what I want? How can I leverage this relationship so that I can get up the corporate ladder a little bit further? How can I take this and use it for my benefit? Where it's all about me. Let us be reminded this morning that as believers, our goal in life should never be to use people, but to love people well. In fact, to lay our lives down for them so that they could flourish, so that they could grow to know who Jesus is in a relationship with Him. Lastly, we look this morning and we see the fifth woe. Woe to the idolater. Notice verse 18 and verse 19. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. The nations were calling out to the Chaldeans and saying to them, Do you realize that you are worshiping something that you have made? This is not a God. The one true God is the God who has made everything, but you have made this and yet you worship this idol. And we look at that and we think, gosh, we are so much more sophisticated than them. Like we would never craft an image, gold or wood, and worship that thing. We would never do that. But what do we worship? What often takes the heart of our affections and directs it away from the Lord? What are maybe those good things that have turned into God things in our lives? See, the truth is what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on is what we value most in our lives. And if we're not careful, even as sophisticated as we are, we will worship things instead of worshiping the creator of those things. Those are the five woes. Notice the response. Verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. In light of the oppression, in light of the injustice, in light of all that the Chaldeans were going to do, God says to His people, keep silent. Keep silent. I don't know about you, I don't do well with silence. I mean, we sleep with a white noise machine. Amen. But here the Lord says, keep silent. Silence demonstrates awe. It demonstrates confidence. It demonstrates humility. 
as we sit in God's presence and as we look around at the injustice going on around us, as we look at the oppression that may be going on around us, what we see are things that are not outside of God's control. What we see around us are things that God has not caught off guard by. What we see occurring around us when the dark clouds are coming are not events that God is looking at saying, I have no idea how to respond. We serve a sovereign God who is always, always, always in control. And there are times when it's dark, the clouds are rolling, when we need to stand in silence before the Lord, where we need to stand in awe of His goodness, where we need to stand in awe of His presence, where we need to stand in awe of His power. Where we need to stand humbly before Him. And maybe cry out, God, I don't know what you're up to. But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And I'm going to watch in wonder as you work. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are thankful for your word. Once again, it reminds us of the truth of who you are. Your character on display in this beautiful book of Habakkuk as we see that you are a just and good God. That there is nothing that happens in this world that is outside of your sight. That there is no injustice or oppression that's taking place right now or has ever taken place that you did not see and promise to bring justice to. Father, as we gather here as your people this morning, would you remind us and encourage us with the reality of who you are? But would you also, through your Holy Spirit this morning, prick our hearts where, as we've already discussed, these woes that were pronounced against this pagan people, we may very well have sin in our life that needs to be confessed this morning. Father, the good news is your grace and your mercy reign and You give us the opportunity to call out to you in confession and repentance this morning. And maybe for one here this morning, that is the start of their relationship with you. Father, for the believers here this morning, maybe that is an opportunity for them to deal with sin that's been in their life so that they have an opportunity today to walk in obedience to you. Father, as we look around this world, we see much of what's described here on display. 
And for us as your children, our heart breaks for those who are being oppressed. Our heart breaks for those who are being taken advantage of. And yet, we have an opportunity this morning to rest in the truth of who you are. That your justice will reign. May we do that. We ask that in your son Jesus' name. Amen.